Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am J.P. Mosier. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great. Why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, man? Man, I'm doing fantastic. We'd like to welcome you guys to our first double feature hey! that we've done. Me and Rob are going to the movies together. Yeah. I'll buy the $42 popcorn. <laughs> what, do you, have you been with people that put stuff in the popcorn that's like not just butter, like chocolates, things Ooh, like that? No, what? Wait, wait, uh, my wife puts hot Cheetos no. in, in her popcorn. No, like Kayla, no. Yeah, I know, right? How about that? I uh no. So me and Rob will have our own separate bags. I thought you were going, you know, like the little powders that they'll have sometimes. Oh, no, no, like, no, no. I mean like actually powder. I've been with people that have put like whoppers in their popcorn no. because because they like the, the saltiness and the sweet combination. Not me either, man. Just give me no. lots of butter. I'm gonna butter it up and yeah. uh but that's that's a, that's my popcorn. Wow. Yeah. I'm trying to think because here's the deal, like with stuff like that, I I feel like almost everything deserves a try. Uh-huh. Unless it's just absurd. Unless it's weird. Which this is borderline absurd to me. Yeah. But I feel like if there's anything that could make it work, I could maybe do Skittles. Okay. That's even weirder maybe. than the other two things that I've mentioned. Is it? And to me, it is. You guys out there, I don't what want do you put chocolate in, with buttered what popcorn? Do you put, does anybody else out there put stuff in their buttered popcorn? If so, tell us what it is I, this, and make suggestions. This is the thing I've never Rob's heard throwing of up in his mouth over there, <laughs> but a little bit. Let's, uh, I'm let's clutching try. my pearls right now. And for those of you guys that don't know why I mentioned double features, we're actually doing our first take on. On two songs. There you go. Because they are from the same iconic movie. Yep. And they were written by the same guy. Yeah. And we get to talk to him. Kaboom. Frankie Previtt's hanging out with us, a uh, guy that wrote. Go ahead, Rob. Tell the songs. He wrote Hungry Eyes and I've Had the Time of My Life. From everybody's favorite film. From the Dirty Dancing. Short Circuit. Just sound- kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Johnny Five in the house. Yes. No. From the massive. 55 million copies selling Dirty Dancing that's right. soundtrack. That's amazing. Uh, the the soundtrack of of probably the 80s, right? I Absolutely. mean, that's the, the I, it's up there. Bodyguard was 90s, early okay. 90s, right? Sure. Um, so 80s, I got to think. It's your, in the conversation. Your top soundtracks from the 80s period are Dirty Dancing, Top Gun, uh, pro, um, but not the whole soundtrack. You think? Maybe. I, I mean, know. I don't know. Nah, I don't think it comes okay. anywhere close to okay. this. No way. Maybe like. The Big Chill. Was that in the 80s or was that in the 70s? I don't know. Anyway, anyway, this, anyway is this is big. One of the biggest selling albums of all time. Forget soundtracks, period. Like 50 million copies. That's just more massive than you can possibly even imagine. So we've got Frankie Previtt, co-writer of the two biggest songs from that soundtrack. Uh, and he's going to join us a little bit later. We had a great time talking to him. Uh, so, uh, and man. full disclosure, we're going to play a little bit of one of them now. That's and right. We'll play a little bit of one of them later. Absolutely. Too. And since we're trying to do two, we're not going to go quite as deep as we got two and an interview. Yeah. So for time, we're not going to go super, super deep, but we're going to give you some, some nuggets that you probably don't know, hopefully, right. and get, get some knowledge. Some little nuggets. So here we go. Let's start with, I've had the time of my life by Bill Medley and Jennifer Warnes from the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Now I- Lace up your roller skates. Is 
anybody else see Jennifer Grey singing it? The girl that mm. plays Baby yeah. in it when Jennifer Lawrence is singing it? Um, that bass line. on the snare. <laughs> Take it up. We just talked to the dude that wrote this. I know, right? What the heck? I was about to run. I'm about to lift him over my head. <laughs> Best of luck with that. <laughs> Come on. This is one of the most feel-good songs ever, ever mm. written. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. It just, this song is a is a mood changer, mm-hmm. you know? Like, seriously, this song could end wars, I think, <laughs> if used properly. You know what I'm saying? I really do. That's I've had the time of my life by, by Bill Medley and Jennifer Warnes from the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Um, that's uh, 1987. It went number one on the Billboard Hot 100, number one on the Billboard Adult Contemporary chart. And it charted twice in the UK, number six upon its initial release, and then back on the charts at number eight in 1991 when the movie hit uh, mainstream TV in the UK. It just blew up all over again. It won the 1987 Academy Award for Best Original Song, ASCAP, Song of the Year, Grammy nomination for Best Pop Performance by a Duo or a Group with Vocals, ASCAP, Most Performed Songs for Motion Picture of the Year, ASCAP, Songwriter of the Year, Golden Globe Award, just unbelievably enormous. This song is bigger than you realize. You know what I'm saying? Like this song is a part of everyone's life, <laughs> basically. You know, it's it's basically like your this song is one of your best friends. You know what I'm saying? For, for like, Childhood friend. Yeah, if you were a child in the '80s, uh, this song is one of your best friends. Period. That's good. It's an all time smash. In fact, you take this song to Pizza Hut with you after the game. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect, dude. That is perfect. Yes, absolutely. Um, In fact, this song introduced me to a list I didn't even know about. The ASCAP Top 100 Songs, a playlist of the top 100 songs based on ASCAP's historical data. Um, I don't know exactly what that means, but ASCAP covers performance rights. They're a performance rights organization. They cover performance rights and usage for radio, publishing, film, TV, and live performance for the last 100-plus years. So that data set is pretty expansive. Um, For example, taking all things into account, the number one performed song in all of history would be... Happy birthday. Yes, oh it's happy gosh. birthday. Yeah. It's happy birthday to you. Um, I was just thinking about Pizza be- Hut 87. <laughs> I can't believe you pulled that out. I it's happy no birthday. Um, that's not a song that you think about, like, ha- but it was written by real people, you know what I mean? Yeah, and true. the and the family that wrote it 
they get royalties when it's used in movies, TV wow. shows, whatever. And that's why, by the way, when you go to a lot of restaurants and stuff, they don't sing happy birthday. They make up their own little happy mm-hmm. birthday song because if you if you sing happy birthday, you're supposed to pay for it. How about that? So there you go. Happy, um, happy birthday. We're so glad you came. Happy, happy birthday from the from, Shoney's game. There you or go. Whatever. Yeah, yeah that's, exactly. That's um, so so um, I also imagine this, this ASCAP Top 100 songs, these would be the top songs associated probably, I guess, with ASCAP writers. Right, so like, uh, as opposed to songs written purely by writers associated with other performance rights organizations like BMI or CSAC. I'm an ASCAP man myself. All my <laughs> stuff is ASCAP. Um, so uh, that's a uh, Blue Socrates Music is my publishing company. There you go. Um, anyway, Time of My Life is number fifteen on that list Good of the gracious. ASCAP Top 100 songs. It's a huge song uh, with a lifespan that cannot be overstated. Um, by the way, that list is actually in, in playlist form on Spotify. Oh, cool. You can go and just search the uh, ASCAP 100. It's all one word. So they one play word, no whose version of Happy Birthday do they play? It's I, – I looked it up and I can't remember. It's okay. Yeah, but it's, 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 it's on there at number one. <laughs> From the original Shoney's gang That's right. <laughs> singing Happy Birthday. And yet – this song does not appear on the list on the, the Billboard, Billboard All Time oh 600. Oh my goodness! That is the wildest this list, is so dude. Weird. Wildest list doesn't appear. For those of y'all that are just joining us from this, yes, we, we reference this list a lot. Yeah, what's on there? It's, what should not be on there? It seems what? wildly inconsistent. What's on it and what isn't? If we and if we don't have time to explain the list now, but we, in our Mariah Carey episode from season five, we went into kind of an in-depth explanation of this list uh, because we got some information. So if you want to hear more about it, check out the Mariah Carey episode where we where we talked about it kind of in depth. Um, but I'm still going to point out when when there's a huge song like <laughs> this that's not on. It, that's just egregious, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, because, I, but you know what though? <laughs> it's not. You know what though? I mean, why should it be? You know what I'm saying? It's not exactly "Live Your Life" by Ti. You know, <laughs> what? Uh, it's not "One More it, Try" by Timmy T, which is of such historical importance <laughs> it doesn't even have a picture beside it on the web page, <laughs> just a billboard logo. That's awesome. You know, so yeah, why should it be oh on that list? Oh my goodness, why should it be? Uh, <laughs> Those are some of my favorite moments is when Rob says, but it's not this. That's so good. Okay. So just we're going to – I'll just have some thoughts on the song. Okay. Um, first of all, I, 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 I told you I wasn't going to do any theory on this song, but I'm just going to do one little t- theory tidbit, okay? Sure. Um, the way the verse is on this song, I am a sucker for this kind of chord progression, okay? We may have even talked this talked about it, this before, but let me play you a little bit of the verse. This is a flat seven chord over a one in the bass chord. I'm not sure what key we're in at this point, but um, but so let's say we're in C, right? Um, it would be like playing a B flat chord over a C bass note and then resolving it to a straight C. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So here's check it out on the uh, check it out on the verse. First of all, that bass, come on. So this chord is going to be. Wait for some more instruments to come in. Okay, listen to the strings. Alright, that's a flat seven, and then it resolves to the one. Anyway, it's the uh, "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me" extremes chord. Yeah, I just I just love so that. So you get me immediately when you have when you when you throw those chords That's in good. there. So um, and then this song is, I I believe I've probably said a couple times that we've covered a song that perfectly encapsulates the '80s. Uh, 
I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to dance with somebody time mm-hmm. after time. Those come to mind. Yeah. But man. This is 80s. That's true. This, this makes me feel like I'm in the middle of the skating rink with the disco ball in mm-hmm. full motion. Mm-hmm. The lighting is just perfect. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? The way the synthesizers dance and the weird but somehow magical combination of what sounds like a 70-year-old man singing with a 22-year-old girl. <laughs> it's not creepy. It's not. It doesn't. It's, it just works. It shouldn't work. <laughs> That's right. But it works. And I don't know how. You know, we said. We, Rob, Rob's got his jorts on. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. It just. It, everything about the song works. It fires on every single cylinder. And it's just a bundle of joy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just so great. We said we were going to do this whole episode an octave down. For oh, Bill, that's right. For we, Bill were, we were going to do it an octave down. We were gonna, we'll modulate our voice in post. Hey, season's greetings. <laughs> and welcome. welcome. Once again. I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> it doesn't quite have the same ring to it. The it's, video for this. Yeah. Let's talk about the video. Okay. Bill Medley and Jennifer singing with dancers and video clips all the around. You guys, if you get a second, go watch the movies that made us on Netflix oh, yeah. about this. It's really good. Mm. So. That's a good series. That's a great. And and the toys that made us as well. I yeah, watched, I, I watched yeah. the one on the wrestler thing. Yeah. That was, that was pretty good. Um, I heard Joe Esposito and Donna Summer were originally supposed to do this one. That would have um, been something. But Donna didn't want to do it because she didn't like the movie name. That's right. Yeah, she thought that not going to do anything named Dirty Dancing. Y'all know Don- Donna Summer as the uh, Queen right. of Disco. Queen of Disco. We've talked yeah. about her before. And y'all know Joe Esposito from yeah. the smash hit, You're the, You're best, the best Around, from yeah. the Karate Kid. That's right. You're the best The most simply written lyric ever. <laughs> That's right. That is Joe, quote, Bean Esposito oh, I didn't know as that. it's listed in in uh, in iTunes. Here's the thing about here's the thing about Esposito. I'm not sure he could have pulled the song off. I it, I don't think it would have worked. Oh, it's he different. Have, it's he could have sung it, but he, he sings on that chorus. I mean, no offense, uh, but this is going to be offensive. <laughs> <laughs> he sings like you know when you know when. <laughs> You know when people sing where their eyes are just wide open? Because <laughs> they're trying – they're aware so hard of how high they're singing, yeah. you know what I mean, that it's like I've got to yeah. I've got to open every orifice to get this note out. You know yeah. what I'm saying? The guy from Montgomery Gentry uh-huh. like sing, yeah. just sings like, this is killing me. <laughs> and that's how I imagine Joe Esposito singing that this song. He, one minute I wish that we were video <laughs> – Rob's eyes, guys. It's amazing. He's, he sounds like he's singing with his eyes wide open. <laughs> yeah. Just going, you know what? I just got to record this one time and then it lives forever. That's right. You know what I'm saying? We've all done that. Like, if I can hit this note just once just on once, record, I'll be an then I go on record of having sung this note. That's, That's what it sounds like to me. I'm not sure he carries the song the same That's way that true. Bill Medley does. That's good. But if you need somebody to uh, do the crane and karate chop somebody yeah. in the face... That's who you call that guy. Definitely. Um, Joe Bean Esposito. That's right. You want to talk? You want to do the? You want to go ahead and meet the band a little bit? You got some stuff? You want to wait? Yeah, let's, let's go ahead let's and meet go ahead the band. Meet the band version? Sure. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey! All right, we're going to do an abridged version of Meet the Band, which basically we're just going to meet Bill Medley and Jennifer Warnes, the vocalist on this. Um, Bill Medley of the Righteous Brothers. Um, you've lost that love and feeling and unchained melody. Um, one of his best charting songs actually came in 1988, the year after this. Um, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. Okay. Um, my favorite version of that song is actually not by Mill Medley. 
It's by Clay Cross. Oh, oh that's a, it's wow. a good, I know, right? You, I really like the Clay Cross. Right? Okay, all so right. So if you guys want to take a few minutes, I don't know, you may hate me after this. <laughs> but, oh, I do have this question that I thought about. Bill Medley was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Did mm-hmm. you see who inducted him in? I did not. Billy Joel in oh, 2003. Really? Okay. So if you could have somebody induct you, have we done this before? I think we have. Have we talked about this before? Yeah. I think I would guess Bruce, Billy, I, or Weird Al for you. Yeah. I, dude, Weird Al was so off my radar for that question. Yes. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Weird I want Al's Weird Al to induct me in the Hall of that, Fame. Yes. That would be uh, an event in of itself. I just went Weird straight Al to Bruce Hornsby, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. I want Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah, that would yes. Be, that would be good. Anyway, Bill Medley. How about you? See, I asked the question not knowing the answer mm. So for me. so that's Would pro- it be Clay Cross? It would be Clay Cross. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe Petrucci. I don't oh, know. Oh, wow. Okay. I would maybe go that way. Okay. I don't, I don't know. Eric Johnson. Uh, Eric Johnson. <laughs> I'd probably, yeah, I'd pick a, a guitar, a guitar legend. Okay. Uh, me? Joe Puerta. Joe Puerta. Yeah, Joe Puerta. Yeah, um, yeah. So Bill Medley. Um, Bill Medley, a righteous brother. He, he is one righteous brother. He is one righteous uh, brother. The female on this is Jennifer Warrens. She also sang another popular duet um, with a gentleman y'all may have heard of named Joe Cocker, yeah. one of our favorites, uh, uh, Up Where We Belong. That's right. I've her, given her a nickname. I've given Jennifer, Jennifer? Warrens okay. a nickname, yeah. She is the ultimate soundtrack hit maker. Oh, okay. yeah. Let me give is you a little from, bit of this. Is that from Officer and a Gentleman? Is that what Up Where We Belong Yes, from? yes, okay. an Officer and a Gentleman, yeah. Listen to this. She had, okay, so... She was born in uh, Washington. She was offered her first contract uh, at age seven. Her first record contract got offered to her at age seven. Wow. Her dad turned it down. He said, no, it's not time. She goes to She's college. She's got to go to first grade. Right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. Hang on, it's playtime. <laughs> <laughs> My yeah. little pony's on. When that's off, <laughs> when it's we'll off, entertain we'll, Yeah, we'll talk. Um, so she goes to college on an opera scholarship. Okay. okay. Wow. Um, so, like, I mean, she's just got a voice yeah. her whole life. She's just got a voice. Um, she records several albums in the mid-70s. She tours and arranges with Leonard Cohen, becomes their lifelong friends, like, to this day. Yeah, um, and then her breakthrough comes in 1977. Uh, she has her breakthrough hit called The Right Time, right of, the time night, of the Night, which was, I would have sworn to you, was Anne Murray. Yeah, it's it's country twangy. Yeah, it doesn't sound at all like the same person that sings this song. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like Let a me different play a little bit. Uh, just hit the, uh, we'll hit the chorus. Uh, this is Right Time of the Night. And I remembered this song. I had no idea this was her, though. It just sounds so it doesn't sound different. She doesn't sound like a different person, but it's just not. It's not stylistically in the yeah, same. It's, I thought this, literally, I thought this was an Anne Murray country track. I mean, at the, at the best, it's like Eagles, Coco, something, you know. Let me get the chorus. different dress in this recording than she would in the other one like, yeah it's completely stylistically different image just everything I, you know what though i gotta be honest i was watching the video uh for time of my life doing prep work and my wife walks my wife walks by and and i said will you just take a look at her hair for me jennifer warren's hair i said this is not the haircut that I expected the woman who sings this song to yeah. have. <laughs> that's good. You know, does it make sense? That's good. Like, that's well said. It's like she's kind of dre- she's she just kind of looks like a school teacher. You know what I mean? From the eighties, mm-hmm. like it's it was not what I expected. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but anyway, okay. So so nineteen seventy seven. That's her breakthrough hit. 
Then, this is what happens, okay? This is why she's the ultimate soundtrack hit maker. In 1979, she sings the song It Goes Like It Goes for the movie Norma Ray, which wins an Oscar for Best Original Song, okay? Boom, 1979. 1981, she sings the song One More Hour for the movie Ragtime, gets an Oscar nomination for Best Original Song. 1982, Up Where We Belong with Joe Cocker for An Officer and a Gentleman, wins an Oscar for Best Original Song, a Golden Globe, a Grammy, and goes number one. And then 1987, she sings I've Had the Time of My Life for Dirty Dancing. Another Oscar win for Best Original If you're making a movie, call this. You call Jennifer Warrens. I mean, and I bet, I bet that's why she gets the phone call for this song. You know what I'm saying? three for three. Yeah, that's that's right. Play the odds. At that point, it's just like, is there something magical about her? Does she have powers? You know what I mean? That we're just not aware of. Like, you know, what is it? Because it's you you trade for Shaq. Yeah. I mean, you really <laughs> you do. <laughs> exactly. You make the trade, man. Oh, by the way, uh, she also recorded one of the great TV theme songs ever uh, with B.J. Thomas. That's right. The theme song to Growing Pains, oh, yeah. As Long As We've Got Each Other. Uh, more on that later. Uh, How about that? Teaser among So teasers. basically, if you want a memorable voice for your multimedia presentation of any kind, <laughs> you call Jennifer Warns. You need a great jingle for your TV commercial? Call Jennifer Warns. You need a really fantastic PowerPoint for your next work presentation? <laughs> you call Jennifer Warns, okay? That's, that's awesome. Uh, side note, by the way, Bill Medley recorded the theme song to the Growing Pains spinoff, Just the Ten of Us. Oh, I did you not know You remember Just that. the Ten of Us? I don't. See if you remember this song. I remembered it immediately when it started playing, but I couldn't have called it before. Wait till it gets to the chorus. It's awful. It's about the basketball coach. I don't know this at all. Take a minute, five minutes. I'll just pop me the whole I've never heard it. No? No. I guess I was watching Hanging with Mr. Cooper, some Bill, other basketball show. Bill Kirkenbauer. It's the basketball coach from Growing Pains and his wife, and they have uh, it's eight eight kids, I guess. I and, never. Uh, anyway, Sorry, I missed that um, one. He had like four teenage daughters, like okay. teenage to 20-year-old daughters. I had crushes on all of them. It was, <laughs> I, that's probably why I watched that's why the you show. Watched it. Like, Not because yeah. of that killer theme song? No. The, no. Uh, um, okay, this is voted in the top ten best duets of all time. Okay. Um, so I'll give – do you know – guess what number one is as voted? Voted is on it, by uh, Americans. By Americans. By Americans. Is it Islands in the Stream? It's not. It's Endless Love by Lionel okay. Richie okay. and Diana Ross. And Diana Ross. Okay, so yeah. What are you going to do? That's okay. voted number one. Okay. Islands in the Stream is a good one, though. Um, that's is it in the top ten? Good, good contender. I didn't write down the top ten. I oh, wrote okay. down one. Oh, how so, dare you? I know, right? That's Sorry, so that's disappointing. Your thing. So then I just started thinking about my favorites. Did you think of any? I'll throw out some um, best and favorites. I'll give a little bit of, of, of. Yeah. Um, I'll give you one or two to kind of. Yeah, give, yeah. Um, you're the one that I want up there. Oh, I do know Re- Reunited was number three. Okay. Peaches and Herb, which Peaches, we covered yeah. earlier this season. I did remember seeing that one in the okay. list. Um, one of my favorites that did not make the list, um, probably won't make the, any kind of list like this, but I love is Easy Lover by Phil Collins. Oh yeah. Do you know the other guy that does it? It's, uh, you know um, yeah, doggone it. Phillip I do. Bailey. Yeah. Philip Bailey. Okay. Yeah. I thought maybe Philip I had wrong. Cause then I went, wait, is it Phil and Philip? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, easy Lover. Play a little Easy Lover just for a second. Absolutely. Anytime. Enough. 
up yeah, right? my goodness. I mean, so good. I love it. So good. Don't even have to get to the vocals. Me, me and Rob were joking as they're talking as it was playing. He's like, I'm going to blow your mind. I was like, is it the Martin Miller version? He's like, yes. <laughs> yes. So you guys yeah. want to go. Uh, Check out the Martin Miller cover of uh, Easy Lover. Man, it's, it's so, so good. good. Uh, With, um, uh, what's his name player. from, uh, from Snarky Puppy? Um, oh gosh, I cannot think of his name. Not Andy oh, Timmons. Gosh. He does some other stuff. Yeah, no, um. Poots. I can't uh, think of it. Doesn't Rob will matter. think of it here in a minute. Doesn't matter. Um, Ebony and Ivory. Um, oh, okay. Is, Solid. I didn't, it was in the list, but I don't remember where. That's McCartney and Stevie. Okay. And then I've got a follow-up to this real quick. Uh, how about, um, uh, what's the... Uh, say, say, say. Say, 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 yeah. Say, say, say is a, is a Michael Jackson McCartney one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite Michael Jackson one is not that one, though. It would not be Is it The Girl list. Is Mine? It's, no, it's <laughs> I Just Can't Stop Loving You. It's oh, and great one. Oh, man. My favorite Michael Jackson duet is uh, the one from Bad that everybody hates um, with Stevie Wonder. Oh, yeah. Uh, just about, Friends. Yeah, just, just Good Friends. friends. Yeah. Um, let me go back to the Ebony and Ivory thing because I want to introduce you guys to an artist that me and Rob have been talking about a little bit later that I was like, I got a story I got to share with you later. It's about this guy. So Ebony and Ivory comes out. It's uh, Stevie Wonder, Paul McCartney. Yeah. Well, then Stevie's got a tour with that. So obviously McCartney's not going to tour with him. Right. So the guy that he has tour with him on that tour is a guy named John Gibson. Oh. Oh, who I am now hooked on. I want you guys to hear a little bit of, we're going to play a little bit of Friend in You. Wow. Just so that you can hear the guy that toured opposite Stevie for this tour when Ebony and Ivory was out. Wow, that's crazy. I did not know that he yep. toured Yep, he toured with, with Stevie. Stevie. Yep, and see if you guys think he resembles Stevie. That's what I, I always thought, just like, yeah, he got signed, you know what I mean? Like, So he was like a Christian gospel artist, yep. and you know, we've talked about, we did a whole episode on like Christian artists sound alike. If that, you like this, you will like this. Exactly, and so that was always my assumption with him, but he le- le- legit got recognized by Stevie as someone worthy yeah, of like and he turned with him. He was the wow. he was the white guy in Ebony and Ivory's wow. touring. So play a little so y'all can hear this who is we're some talking about. Friend in You by John Gibson. One of one of my favorites. It immediately sounds like a Stevie Wonder song. Life has got you down. I mean it's like yes. Let's let's listen to the cor- to get to the chorus. Take a few seconds you got. Turn it around. You to be free. If you're not careful, this song will get you in a corner. Uh-huh. Oh, this yeah. song will cut you off guard if you're not careful. Because life don't love you when you're holding on after you let go. So what's it matter who you are or what you do? And this, it, it turns real quick right here. Yeah. Baby, I know you want to end it all. What? But please, before you do, my friend. go your whole life and think that was Stevie Wonder. Exactly. You know what I mean? So I'm and glad, hopefully we could introduce you guys to somebody um, that maybe you didn't know. If it was just me and you, 
We would do a whole episode on that song. Yeah. But we actually have people who listen who to the listen show, to the show. Now, yeah. who go, like, who the crap is John Gibson? No, nobody cares Why? about yeah, that. What is that? Thank John Gibson's mom may listen, but that would be about But it. like before we got any listeners, you know what I mean? Like season one, episode four. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, we could have done we that. We could follow song, up no. the Frampton episode with the John Gibson thing. Yeah. By the way, the, the picture, the cover to that album by John Gibson, we're way off track here. But <laughs> the cover to that album. Frankie Previtt's waiting around like, what in the world are these guys talking about? But the cover is him basically doing like a, a high school uh you know photography studio shot with it sitting backwards on a chair but it's not even a cool chair it's like your grandmother's <laughs> kitchen chair awful. you know what i'm saying and he's in a suit he's got the hand on the chin um and it's just he just looks like the whitest dude ever yeah. and then the first <laughs> the first song on that album is called yamo be there uh-huh. y-a-h-m-o-b-t-h-e-r-e yeah, yeah. appropriate much and then the second song features mc hammer That's right. i told rob this is the song I've, i discovered this this is the song that mc hammer first calls himself mc hammer crazy and talking about the, breaking down a wall from there he's MC hammer. that's it man and he was he was mc hammer from there that's so, nuts there you go anyway a little right, side cool. maybe we'll just release this this last six minutes as a side as a episode side for more, go John to this, Gibson. Yeah, yeah, go to this part now. It's it's in there. One more thought on I've had the time of my life. Uh, going back to what we actually came to talk about. Um, <laughs> so here's my here's what I'm going to say, and I, I kind of want to, to take this at face value. I don't mean any insult to anyone, okay? But I'm just going to say this: the people who sang this song shouldn't have sung this song. Like it should have been a guy and a girl roughly the same age as the protagonists of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like. It should have been somebody younger. And with movie songs, you always hear about studio execs and producers butting in with opinions about who should sing it. And their suggestions are always stupid and out of touch. But you know what? By golly, they nailed this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why this works. This should not work. Mm-hmm. These people should not have sung this song. But it works. Medley and Warren's killed this song, and there was no good reason for that to happen. Bill Medley was 40 when he sang this song. And that's not, like, old, but he's not 40 in the same way that, like, Adam Levine is 40. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? He's not 40. He's in the an same- old 40. Yeah. He, he's a, he, he, yeah, he's an he's old He's not 40. like Nick Carter is 40. Oh, my God. You know what I'm saying? But it, Bill Medley was 40. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He was always, I mean, he was one of the Righteous Brothers, and they were always old. They, they always made old, old music. <laughs> yeah. Right, you know what I'm saying? True. I don't know. It, it's part of it's his voice, but it just stylistically, he just, Righteous Brothers music has always felt like old guys. That's right. Me. He was a grandfather at like 20, probably. <laughs> right? And then yes. he's still a grandfather father at 40 yes. and then you yeah know, exactly and so and jennifer warns was 33 okay but which is obviously not old by any means but she's not 33 in the same way that like kesha is 33 oh my god you know what i'm saying blake weird. lively is 33 mm-hmm. this just confirms my feeling by the way that people just used to be older like yeah, that's true you know what i'm that's saying true. like just people say 40 is the new 30 that kind of thing 40 is a, and is 87 joke, is like 60 in 2020 i, I mean really pe- like people feel better about uh you know People make people feel better about aging. They say 40 is the new 30, that kind of thing. But, man, I think it's true. I think life just used to age people faster. Maybe it's because we're in our upper 30s and we're just telling ourselves. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe like, so. what are these old guys talking about? Maybe so. <laughs> maybe so. But that brings me to a question for the listeners, okay? If you're listening, if this song was being redone in 2020, okay, with a male singer in his early 40s 
and a female in her early 30s. Who do you do? Yes. Who would That's it be good. and who should it be? Let's not answer okay. and let's yeah. see what they say. No, That's let good. us know, okay? I like that. Er, man in his early 40s, woman in her early 30s, right now to do this song, who should it be? Sing it a song for teenagers to dance to. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Great Song Pod. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, find us on the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Great Song Pod, or you can just search for Great Songs and the Great People Who Love Them Greatly. Let us know who you think sings this song now. Who, first of all, who should and then who does the studio override your decision and Trump make it. you go yeah and who so who ends up singing it okay, okay. boom let's go that's to got us covered eyes. on i've i've had the time of my life now let's take a listen to hungry eyes the second song of our coverage and then we're going to talk to frankie previtt the guy who wrote both of them uh so now let's take a listen to hungry eyes by eric carmen Go. That is Hungry Eyes by Eric Carmen. Not to be confused with Eric Cartman uh, from <laughs> South Park. Uh, that would be a whole different version and probably not sound nearly as good, I imagine. Uh, that's Hungry Eyes by Eric Carmen as part two of our Dirty Dancing double feature, written by Frankie Previtt and John DiNicola. Uh, it hit number four on the Billboard Top 100, number two on the Billboard Adult Contemporary Chart, number three on the Cashbox Top 100, and number six on the Radio and Records Chart. Did you see it charted number 88 in the U.K., but it was never released in the U.K.? That's just from popularity wow. here. It reached number 88 in the U.K., Dang. not released in As the an UK. import. As an import. That's nuts. On import sales alone. I love that fact. Jeez, that's huge. That's a, a Good point. There. Wow, man. And you talked to, are we going to do the, if it wasn't Hungry Eyes? Yeah, so I was just thinking <laughs> this morning, like, just alternatives to Hungry Eyes, because, like, if you really get down to the brass tacks on that phrase, eyes can't be hungry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's, there's like, a cognitive dissonance there. Like, we get it. We know what the Hungry Eyes is all about. Okay. You know what I'm saying? We, we understand the Hungry Eyes metaphor. Sure. But, like, your eyes can't be hungry. So I was just trying to think of, like, alternatives to so that. Rob you know what I mean? So, Rob like, that this morning. Yeah. So I was like, what, could, could you have sleepy teeth? Oh, okay. See, I did hungry everything. That's oh. how I heard it. So I was like, how do I do this? So I did hungry nose, okay. and I'll tell you, and I did hungry toes, and I'll explain them. So they're both bad. Hungry nose is like you're wearing your mask because we're in the middle of COVID, okay. and you see somebody hot, and you breathe in your nose, and it catches in your nostrils. 
So it's kind of like, like it's kind of like a wedgie, but for your nose. Yeah, okay. So that nose. sucks. And Man, I got the hungry nose. I got the hungry hands. nose from that. Oh, and then there's hungry toes when like your sock gets in between yes, your toes. Yeah. So the only way I could think of it would be like hungry nose. I put my mask on as COVID blows. I've got oh hungry gosh. nose. The only thing worse is co is hungry toes. Wow. So you like, really wrote a song hung- about I like, hungry I thought, nose. I thought we were gonna write one on hungry. Oh things. man. So I went a little different. No, my bad. I was just thinking. Hungry nose is not quite as bad as hungry toes. Yeah. But both are pretty bad. Wow. Okay, no. See, I went, I had, <laughs> I just came up with a few just alternatives where you've had the descriptor and then the noun. You know what I mean? Okay. So I came up with sleepy teeth, <laughs> which I think is probably my favorite. So I sleepy like sleepy teeth. teeth. Uh, angry bowels. <laughs> uh, how about Restless Heart? Oh. Oh, how about that, right? Episode three of um, this season for you guys that want to go back and listen. How about uh, Disappointed Knees? <laughs> yeah. That sounds like old man it, catcher. Yeah. Uh, guilty Ankles. Yeah. Shy Nostrils. Anxious Hair. <laughs> uh, fearful Ears, which I kind of like. That would sing well. And then the last one I got was Awkward Chest. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sleepy Teeth is my Sleepy favorite. Teeth. Sleepy Teeth sounds like a band. I, I was just thinking that it could easily be a band name, Sleepy Teeth. Uh, maybe, maybe that's your like Dirty Dancing cover band. You know what I mean? You just oh, do yeah. the whole the whole Dirty Dancing soundtrack from uh-huh. from uh, top to bottom. Actually, you would probably just call that Hungry Eyes. Yeah. But Sleepy Teeth, Sleepy cool Teeth thing. covering Hungry Nose. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay, I, this is one of the great uh, '80s like chug chug songs. You know what I'm talking about when I say a chug chug song? Yeah. It's got that, yeah, that ding, 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 you know, with that sort of clean, dirty guitar palm sound. Palm muted. Yeah, palm muted guitar. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask you, which is which do you prefer? Okay, I'm not saying which one is better definitively, mm-hmm. but just which is which do you prefer, Hungry Eyes or Missing You? Hungry Eyes. Uh, man, I jumped quick to that. <laughs> no, I don't know. Man. It's hard, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I can't pick one. I think Sorry. they're the two. I think they're probably the two best of that ilk, especially from the eighties. Yeah. Um, there's been now songs that sort of do it as a nostalgic thing, but when that was like the thing, what we may do, I ain't missing you. Oh, we we're have, definitely we're doing. Have to we are John definitely doing that song. Absolutely. Um, so I don't know. Let us know. Let us know your thoughts on that as well. Which I can't do you prefer? Pick. I'm not picking. What's your favorite Chug Chug song? Uh, also, let us know. I want to hear your alternatives to Hungry Eyes. Yeah. If you got some. Uh, you know, if you can beat Sleepy Teeth, let me know. Yeah, I think Sleepy Teeth's in the driver's seat. So far, <laughs> a little bit about Eric Carmen. Uh, he was a he has a career as a singer and as a songwriter, kind of both equally. He wrote uh, "All by Myself," "Almost Paradise," uh, big hit from uh, with a uh, oh gosh, is it Ann Wilson? Which Wilson? One of the Wilson sisters from Heart. Almost Paradise. Yeah, and the lead singer from Lover Boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, big hit. Mike Reno, Mike right? Reno. Mike Reno. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I then he's it's, yeah, it's one of the Wilson. Guys. He wrote his other big hit from the '80s. His career really sort of launched in the '70s and peaked. And then this song brought him back. He had another big hit in the '80s that I had totally forgotten about and could not have told you it was Eric Carmen. And that is uh, "Make Me Lose Control," dude. This oh, oh my gosh, I had forgotten. This took me back to like I don't know what man. This made me feel like. I, I don't know. I don't know. I always forget that this intro turns into this song. Do you remember this song? I don't know this Oh, song. you're gonna. You're gonna. I don't want to blow it. Let me get to the chorus. I guarantee you're gonna remember I hope it hits you like it hit me, dude.
I completely, yeah. Wow. What a song, dude. I mean, monster song. So Eric Carmen, he wrote he wrote that as well as as well as uh, some of his other hits. But he did not write Hungry Eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frankie Previtt and and uh, John DiNicola uh, wrote that one. But Hungry Eyes revived Eric Carmen's singing career. Uh, according to an interview on songfacts.com, he was ready to step back as an artist and focus solely on writing. In fact, he had already moved back to Ohio from L.A., and he was just going to be a writer from there and, you know, do all his pitching. Um, but the musical director for Dirty Dancing happened to be his old producer from his band, The Raspberries. Oh, man. I, I love some Raspberries. Do stuff. you? I, yeah. He, Eric Carmen can play guitar. Yeah. I mean, he's, got, he's got good chops. Uh, you the, wanna, what's, what's a Raspberries track? Uh, Go All do? the Way is probably the one that you would probably know. Guitar Brilliance on it. Check it out. I, I like that one. <laughs> the song i was listening to some to some you know music doing research for this episode and my wife's sitting next to me and i'm going i just said there's just too much good music you know <laughs> like you can't absorb all this anymore yeah cool song dude. cool song um, so yeah, Eric Carmen, not I mean, noted as a guitar player, but he can play. Yeah, he can play and man, he can really sing. And so he, he really killed this song and, and, um, and actually all by myself, you know, he took from another raspberry song. It's called, oh, no, it's called let's pretend y'all know all by myself. It's the theme of COVID-19 It's you sure. know what everybody's playing. <laughs> right. Um, Celine Dion had a pretty big version of it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was taken from a raspberry song called let's pretend. So if you get a chance to check that out, I did not know that. And he actually, um, you know, the Rachmaninoff, I don't know if you saw the stuff he, a lot of the stuff he's written, he's taken from Rachmaninoff piano pieces. Really? So he's really classically trained. And actually, he had to pay royalties to the family um, because of the similarities in the usage. Wow. So not to bring it down. I think it's, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he didn't mind. He probably wasn't super crazy about it, but he is very smart, like, and musically trained. Wow. No, I didn't know that. Wow. Well, a great writer, great singer, killed the heck out of Hungry Eyes. Um, my last, my last real note on hungry eyes is, uh, the bells on the, they're in the intro, uh, but also in the, in the chorus, the little, they're just only in the eighties. And now as kind of a nostalgic thing, you get them in some like gospel music and that kind of thing. But, uh, these bells at the beginning, dude, are everything. And actually made me want to call back here. Here they are on hungry eyes. That's just, come on. I mean, that's great. Synth bells just have their own kind of charm that is unachievable any other way. Um, But that actually brought me uh, back to one other note on I've had the time of my life that I wanted to uh, mention. And that is the, um, the synth melody at the beginning of the chorus is everything, dude. It does something magical to me. It's one of my favorite musical moments in pop history. It just works so perfectly. And it's something I didn't don't think I would ever do. If I'm writing it, it starts on the and of one, and then the melody comes on in the and of two, and I don't think I would have ever thought, yeah, let's fill the space and keep playing over the melody uh-huh. here. Okay, so just one more one more time. Uh, let's, let's listen to that, because I just want to point out how cool I think this is on the chorus when they get back to the big chorus. Right? That hits, ding, 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 ding. It's going over the, over the lyrics and everything. I never really noticed it. 
so much really? stuff going on. Oh man, it just it it lifts the whole chorus for me. You know what I mean? So this is playing over the ending, the end sequence of of Dirty Dancing, and uh, I just think uh, why don't we why don't we let uh, Frankie Previtt tell the rest of the story? Really fascinating story about his original version and and how it ties in. Um, so let's let's go now. Let's let's go on. We're gonna meet Frankie Previtt. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you again on the other side of the interview. Uh, hope you enjoy this interview with Frankie Previtt, co-writer of "I've Had the Time of My Life" and "Hungry Eyes" from the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. We'll be back. This is the Great Song Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. As promised, we are here with the co-writer of both "I've Had the Time of My Life" and "Hungry Eyes." Frankie Previtt is joining us today on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Frankie. Thank you guys for having me, Robin JP. Thanks a lot, buddy. Absolutely. Um, so let's let's start here. Um, were uh, "Time of My Life" and "Hungry Eyes" were they written specifically for Dirty Dancing, or had you written them for other projects initially? Well, to win an Academy Award, you have to write for that specific uh, movie. But oh, really? "Hungry Eyes." Okay, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, "Hungry Eyes." was actually uh, on my demo reel. Frankie and the Knockouts got sold from uh, Millennium Records to MCA Records, who totally dropped the ball. They wanted us to change our sound and sound more like Night Ranger, which radio wasn't ready for. <laughs> and, you know, so, and they had Night Ranger on their label. Go figure. Weird. So, you know, they, uh, they kind of uh, dropped us. And two years later, uh, I'm writing songs, trying to get another record deal. And I wrote Hungry Eyes which every label in America and the world passed on. Nobody heard that. Wow. That song is a hit record. And then um, out of the blue, two years later, the guy that shut his label, Jimmy Einer, called me and said he had this little movie. And, and I told him, Jimmy, man, I am working my tail off and I really don't have time to, you know, to write anything for your little movie. He goes, make time to change your <laughs> It's going to change your life. I'm like, hey, right? You know, you shut your label two years ago. I'm thinking this. You're going to change my life. So uh, he goes, no, I got a good feeling about this this movie. And I go, all right, Jimmy, what's the name of the movie? And he says proudly, Dirty Dancing. And I'm thinking, I put my hand on my forehead and I'm going, Jesus, Jimmy's doing porn. You know? <laughs> I'm thinking he's doing a porn flick. And uh, he said, no, no, this is a good little movie. And he gives me like a five-minute description, tells me the song has to be seven minutes long. So I'm thinking MacArthur Park, I got to write MacArthur right. Park. <laughs> and so I called John DiNicola, who I wrote Hungry Eyes with, and told him what had happened. And he sent me a track. And I said, John, before you send me the track, I said, let's start the song up front with the chorus in halftime and then hit the verbal double-time it. So he sends me the track on the Garden State Parkway, exit 140. <laughs> I'm t- taking this cassette in 1987, shoving it into my dashboard. And I'm listening. I'm going, in and I'm of my life. In and I'm of my life. What the hell am I saying? And I'm, I'm scribbling time of my life on an envelope, not really knowing what this movie is about. And seriously, the man upstairs wrote the song because <laughs> I, had, I had no clue. You know, and and I, you know, it was like I, I was blessed. I was blessed to, you know, written a song that changed my life. What kind of a uh, prep do you do writing a seven minute song versus like a three minute song? Do you structure things completely differently in your head as you're jotting stuff down, or are you just go in and, and go where it takes you and try to stretch it to seven? <laughs> 
a little bit of both. You know, um, I understood that the instrumental section had to be, you know, could be a little longer because, you know, I needed to stretch it. I knew the tag could be a little longer. You know, you start, you know, doing a minute and a half of a fade as opposed to, you know, your, your 20 or 30 second fade. And so you're just playing music, layering it with different things, adding different instruments at different times, starting the song with the chorus in half time. Sure. So that e- eats up some time because now you're in half time. And so, you know, little by little, it ended up being long enough for them to film the movie to it. And when I met Patrick Swayze at the Academy Awards, he was like all over me with who sang the demo, who sang it. And I'm like, why is that important? And he said, because we didn't have a song and we hated this movie and we filmed out of sequence. And the last scene was filmed first. And we were like, let's get this over with because they had learned the last scene to a Lionel Richie song, which was a cover song, not an original and they were like, you know what, this is not going to happen. And then the director, Emil Ardolino, walks in. And he goes, hold up, one more cassette. We might as well listen to it. It's the 150. <laughs> you know, so they put the, you know, the cassette in and it was me and Rochelle Capelli singing the song. And they were like, you know what, we're making the movie to this song. And he says, at the end of the day, we had such an unbelievable ending. He said, we just went what the heck just happened? Let's go make a movie. <laughs> wow. That's great. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. So was it a, um, a movie studio decision, a record label decision to why, in other words, why didn't they just use your demo since they loved it? Obviously they loved it. Um, what, what was the reasoning then for them to go and get, um, you know, other singers to sing it? Good question. You know, and, and till today, still today, you could talk to Eleanor Bergstein, who wrote Dirty Dancing, and she'll say to you, I love Bill and Jennifer's rendition, but I'm still never over that demo. I love the way you and Rochelle sang it. So, yeah, you know, that's great that, you know, we would have could have sung it. But to have Bill Medley, a Righteous Brother, sing my song, that was like a mentor of mine growing up, you know, listening to wanting to be a blue eyed soul singer. And and then you got to figure the genius of taking a voice that was popular back in the 60s and putting it into a contemporary song, which was the thread of taking that music and giving it the reminiscence of being back in the 60s. I thought that was genius. Yeah, and I heard it took a little convincing for Bill to even do another duet because he'd been doing so much of that. Yeah, he was done. He said, I'm not doing any more duets. I'm I'm done with duets. And, the, and he says, second of all, listen to this guy. He's like way up there. I, how am I going to hit those? <laughs> you know, and they said, Bill, 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 drop it an octave and try it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really interesting. Uh, yeah. Now that your original demo can now be heard. Right on the re-release of the original 1981 Frankie and the Knockouts album, is that correct? Well, the the um, Hungry Eyes can now. Time of my life and Hungry Eyes. I um, I did a little campaign, and I'm doing a campaign with uh, Pancreatic Cancer Action Network uh, in uh, Patrick Swayze's honor. And I take those demos and I sell them on my Facebook page called Dirty Dancing Demos, real creative. And, <laughs> to the point. And, and uh, you know, I give uh, all that money to pancreatic cancer in his memory. So I've, I've raised twenty five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 selling those demos. 
That's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, so everybody yep. listening, you can go to Dirty Dancing Demos Facebook page and get your hands on the original demos for this that was Swayze's favorite version of the, uh, yeah. many people's favorite version of the song. And uh, you can take a listen to Frankie's original version of both this and Hungry Eyes, if, and you can yep. support pancreatic cancer research at the same time. So make sure you do that. Uh, and while we're talking about um, um, sort of uh, charitable sure. ventures, let's, let's yeah. talk about One World, uh, our song 2020 Project. Tell us a little bit about the song and what it's doing. And then we got to talk a little bit about the American Soviet arts exchange trip that it was kind of born out of. Sure. sure. Well, that, that is all one kind of conversation. One world is the name of the song, but the website is one world, our And what, what, what that's all about is uh, back in, after winning the Academy award in 1988, 25 American songwriters were chosen to represent the United States and write with the top Russian songwriters. So Barry Mann, Mike Stoller, Cindy Lauper, Desmond Child, Diane Warren, 25 of us went to Moscow and we wrote with 25, you know, Russian counterparts. So while we were there for nine days, we wrote 50 songs. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, at the end of that 50, that nine week, uh, Columbia Records actually put that summit on along with BMI, which is, you know, ASCAP BMI. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so we got back home. Uh, Columbia picked out of the 50, 10 songs. And I was lucky enough that they picked two of the songs that I wrote there. One was with Pamela Philip Olin, was an American song, is an American songwriter who wrote with Frank Sinatra for Frank Sinatra, wrote, wrote for uh, Whitney Houston and Aretha Franklin and tons and tons of people, hit records galore. And along with the, the Soviet, now these Soviets, it was during the Glasnost period where right. Russia just starting to open their doors and their mentality to, you know, let let the people from America and the rest of the world come into the Soviet Union. And they allowed these Estonian songwriters to come to Moscow. They weren't happy about it, but they allowed it. And the two that we wrote with, Sergei Mnuchin was a blind Estonian and his writing partner, Mick Targa. So us four wrote this song, One World, that Columbia Records decided that we're going to record and have Earth, Wind and Fire recorded. Wow. So so back in 1989 now, Earth, Wind & Fire does a, a version of One World. And Columbia Records, there was a, a little bit of a change of regime, and the new regime was like, well, that's the old regime's project, and they shelved it. Nothing happened with that record. And so many, many, many years later, I'm doing interviews like with people like you guys on the radio, and they are talking about the tragedy of, you know, what's going to happen to musicians in America and how it's affecting America. And I go, wait, 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 this is not only affecting America, this is around the world. We are officially one world. Yeah. And, and this like light bulb went off and I was like, you know what? I got a song I can help like I did with time of my life and hungry eyes for pancreatic cancer. So I started calling around finding different foundations, the uh, Musicians Foundation, the Artist Fund, the First Responders Children's Fund. And now that's a fund that when the first responders get hurt um, and they can't afford to give their child an education or feed them or house them, this organization does that. They step up and they make sure the children of first responders are taken care of. 
And then right before we're getting ready to release the new version, because we re-recorded the song. And ha- and I'll tell you all about that because there's some really, really Grammy award-winning songwriters on this song. Uh, right before we're going to get ready to release it, we thought, you know what? The picture that we're painting really isn't completed. So we thought about the social injustice that was going on in America, and we added the NAACP. So we have those four charities. And so in, in knowing that, you know, we needed to change some of the lyrics, I called Pamela. And she said, let's let's rewrite the second verse. And I have this guy, John Gillitan, who is who wrote New Attitude for Patti LaBelle. And he's a great songwriter, a producer. And so we talked to John. He goes, I'm in. I'll do a track. Let's start getting singers and, and people on this track. So Michael Mayo, who sang, who sings with uh, Herbie Hancock and Ellis Hall, the original lead singer from Tower Power. I don't know if you guys remember. Yeah, Tower absolutely. Power. Yeah. So he's on there. Now he's also blind. And so, um, you know, he's he's an unbelievable singer, the ambassador of soul, they call him in L.A. And then um, uh, let's see. Renee Martin is on there. Uh, uh, who else is on there? Holly. Uh, Doreen Holly. Yeah, Doreen Holly is on there. And then a great, great singer who was in the movie 20 Feet from Stardom. Her name is Judith Hill. And Judith is on the bridge of the song as she comes in on the end uh, and, and it just takes the song to another level. And the musicians on there are guys from Toto and all these like major bands around that you've you've heard of. And so when John started sending me the, you know, the track, I was like, John, I was going to go out and get like major, major stars. But these people, they're unbelievable. And you know what? They're they're doing it pro bono. They're doing it to help wow. their their brethren, you know, yeah. and I, they're on some heroes, just like, you know, the rest of the people out there trying to help. So they are, we call them the voices for one world. And uh, right now, uh, voices, uh, one world is uh, hit the uh, billboard charts is number 35 with a bullet. Outstanding. That's awesome. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Yes. Uh, on the AC charts. Yeah. I love that. I love that you're Doing something to, you know, you're, I mean, you're, you're literally putting your money where your mouth is with this. And I think that's great. Uh, if you're, if you're listening, you can go to oneworldoursong.com uh, and you can click the donate now button and you can, you can see he's got uh, pictures of everybody. He's just talking about a lot of the uh, people he mentioned, you can see them and get their bios and information on all these. And then you can uh, hit donate now, get a copy of the song and choose the charity that you want to donate to. I do have a follow-up question um, on the, you talked about the original that came out in 1990 on the music speaks louder than words album. It's yeah. for those of all that, that haven't heard out there, it's, it's Maurice and Philip kind of going back and forth. Like you mentioned from earth, wind and fire. I heard a rumor. I don't know if this is true. Maybe you can click. Do you know, did Jennifer love Hewitt sing background vocals on that? Not on that, but I believe on the original demo that Ellis Hall, when we first got back, uh, we had to do a demo so Columbia you could hear the song, and uh, we had a children's choir come in, and she she was on that. Oh, she sang man. on that. But you know, uh, just to add to what you guys are talking about, going to the website after you donate, and it could be anything that you can afford, uh, you get a free download of the song. So I'm giving the song away. Right. Once once you donate, you get the song for free. And you can go to Spotify and you can go to iTunes and you can go to Amazon and all of those streamings. And every time the song is played on the radio, that's a donation. So call your local radio stations. If you haven't 
yet and and get one world to uh get in, into onto your radio station's rotation because every every penny helps absolutely absolutely that's great um yeah i do have another question um in regards to publishing um i so, hear that you still you hold on you maintain all your publishing is that correct Am I right on that for these? You know, yeah. You know, uh, when they called me to write the songs, uh, the songs for Dirty Dancing, uh, Linda Gottlieb called and she said, I'll give you a thousand bucks for time of my life. Wow. And I was like, wow, that's it, huh? A thousand bucks. Well, you know, we don't have a lot of money and a thousand dollars is all we, I said, wait a minute. Here's, here's a great deal for you. And I said, I'm 3,500 a song and let me keep my publisher. <laughs> And she was like, done. And so, <laughs> You're the king of negotiations. Yeah, That's awesome. <laughs> That's how you do it. Wow. Can you tell, because we've tried to explain it to our listeners, but not being fully in that world, you can exp- you can explain it much better than we can, why that's important and, and the benefit to being able to to keep the publishing end of your songs. Can you explain that to our listeners? Yeah, it's in the songwriting Bible in Genesis, <laughs> verse number, verse one. What happens is, like years and years ago, when, when songwriters back in the 40s and 50s would write a song, you'd have record companies coming out of the woodwork going, I'll give you a hundred bucks for your song. And they would pay people a hundred bucks and then they would take the song and it would become a big hit record. And they would, the company would make millions and millions of dollars and the writer would make a hundred bucks. And so to save the writer from himself or herself, what they did was they split that dollar into two shares. One side is called the writer's share. And the other side of that dollar, the other 50 cents, is called the publisher's share. So when you hear that a dollar is made from a record, it's being split half to the writer, half to the publisher. So if you are the writer and the publisher, you are now making 100% of the dollar. And that's why it's important to keep your publishing. There you go. That's cool. Um, We. We haven't really given you much chance to talk yet about your uh, era with Frankie and the Knockouts. I'm a huge Frankie and the Knockouts fan. Um, for those awesome. Who, yeah. I, uh, all right. All right. What's your favorite tune? Uh, You're My Girl definitely is my favorite, which is kind of off the rate. And most people wouldn't say that. Closely followed by Come Rain or Shine. I love Come Rain or Shine. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's I know awesome. most people are obviously going to pick Sweetheart. That's the hit um, for those of our right, listeners. Right, right. That's, the, that's, right. that's the big hit. 81, it finished uh, on Billboard. It was number 50 song of the year. Uh, let me tell our listeners what it beat out, and then I want to ask you what it's like to beat out some of these artists. So beat out <laughs> okay. Sticks, Too Much Time on My Hands, Who's Crying Now by Journey was 56, Arthur's Theme, Christopher Cross, 64, wow. Another One Bites the Dust, Queen, 65, wow. Don't Stand So Close to Me, Police, 71. I mean, that's a monster year in music. And you beat all those for the year. Like, put that in kind of perspective, what 81 was like for Frankie and the Knockouts. Well, you just educated me. My jaw is open. It's on the floor. Let me pick pick it up. (laughs) You know, uh, Jesus. So you're bigger than you thought, right? (laughs) Uh, You know what? I had no idea that Sweetheart had that kind of impact. I know it was a top 10, you know, billboard hit. Uh, I had no idea. Yeah, finished you know? number 50 for the year. Well, that shows how humble you are because most people that would ask would be like, yeah, I love beating the police out. Like, Queen who? So that, that's great. Um, I will let you talk a little bit about the band because uh, some of our listeners may not know too. Tico Torres was your drummer who's with Bon Jovi. Uh, Lee Fox on bass from Blondie. Huge, huge band. Billy Ellsworth, Bobby Bobby Masano. 
to, the thing I like so much about you guys is your gang vocals. Like, I think y'all are the king of gang vocals. What's it like having a band like that that can sing? And when you put them together, were you like, I want a band that can sing as well as play? Talk a little bit about on the formation of Frankie and the Knockouts. Yeah, you know, uh, the formation of that band, because I come from, uh, my dad was an opera singer, number one. So for me, it was always about, you know, vocals and harmonies. And, you know, I was uh, in, in groups, uh, acapella groups when I was younger. And so um, I was always into harmonies. And I, you know, joined a band back in the 70s called Bull Angus, which was on Mercury Records. And we toured Rod Stewart and Deep Purple and Fleetwood Mac. And we, we played some really big festivals with like 300,000 people. That was a riff rock band, really hard, heavy yeah, riff rock. Yeah, I enjoy rock. it. Yeah, yeah me and Rob, we, we, we pre-gamed before yeah. to listen to Yeah, it's good stuff, definitely. Yeah, and you know, so that band had so much energy that, you know, when you performed, it wasn't about thinking about how to perform, that you let the music kick your <laughs> and just and just take you from one side of the stage to the other. And, and so when I left that band, when it broke up, I came home and uh, I got sounded by Buddha Records and Tony Camillo, who produced Gladys Knight, Midnight Train to Georgia, about being an R&B singer. Well, you know, I was coming out of this heavy band with shrapnel wounds, you know, I had to, <laughs> you know. And so I had to go take voice lessons again in New York. And and I started, you know, writing R&B songs with Bobby Feldman and, and uh, Jimmy Vivino. And, uh, you know, so I started recording for Tony Camillo, but I just wasn't getting the same energy and vibe of, you know, playing rock and roll. And so I called up Billy Elwer, the, the guitar player from Bull Angus, and I said, let's get together and let's let's write some blue eyed soul rock and roll songs so I can so I can croon and chirp a little bit. But you can. <laughs> You know, and you can put some some uh, some energy behind it. So that's the formation. The the two that started Frankie and the Knockouts was Billy and I, and then Billy brought in Blake Levinson, the keyboard player, and then you know we started writing together. And a guy named Bert Padell, who was the accountant for the Stars, Madonna, and and uh, just tons of people, Luther Vandross. He did in two weeks what I couldn't do in two years, selling cars out of my driveway so I could write songs. <laughs> he got me a record deal with Millennium Records. So when I met nice. Jimmy Heiner, he, he said to me, you got a band? I, there was no band. It was me and Billy and, and Blake. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we got a band. It kicks <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's awesome. So he's like, well, you know, if you can write three more songs as good as these, I'll give you a record deal. So... Obviously, I wrote She's a Runner. I wrote You're My Girl. And I wrote one more song, uh, Annie Goes Hollywood, off the first record. And uh, he gives us the deal. And the day we're going to record, I walk in and I said, I have one more song. And he goes, OK, play it for me. What's the title? And I said, it's called Sweetheart. Yeah. And he, goes, right. <laughs> he goes, all right, play it. And, and he listens. He goes, listen, I'm not going to tell you it could be a hit record, but it's really, really pop and radio is going to you know, pin you as a rock band. I mean, as a pop band, not a rock band. And he goes, are you sure you want to put that bullet in the gun? And I said, load the gun. <laughs> You're like, I'll, I'll take that gun all the way to the bank, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll deal with it later. <laughs> but you know what the good thing is? I have uh, the uh, Frankie and the Knockouts complete collection out right now. And to do that record, I told Friday Music, I said, 
if I can do this record, which will get the third album out there, but let me put a bunch of live Frankie and the Knockout tracks so people can hear Sweetheart and Without You and and the songs like a rock and roll band plays them. Yeah. Because when, when you first play them, you learn them with the band, you don't have that same energy or when you play it out, all of a sudden, oh, let's change this chord. Let's do these kicks. Let You know, we can open the song up here. Yeah. There's all of a sudden the song takes on a new life an energy that it, that it didn't record that you didn't record. Absolutely. So, you know, those songs are on there. Plus there's 11 unreleased uh, demos from 1974 from Bolangas to R and B uh, songs on Buddha to songs up to Academy Award and beyond. So they're all on that Frankie and Knockout's complete collection that's out on Friday Music. Very cool. If you're listening, go check that out. I was a big, I was surprised by the Bolanga stuff. I was not ready for it. So I hit, I hit play on some of the Bolanga stuff and I was like, whoa, like I added it, I got it immediately, downloaded it. You know what I mean? I'm going to be, I'm going to be uh, taking that in over the next few weeks for sure. So I really enjoyed awesome. it. Um, awesome. I want to ask you a question about writing and co-writing. What's the difference between writing with someone you already know, uh, like John DiNicola, who you've been, you know, collaborating with for years in the knockouts already. And then you end up writing uh, these two songs for the Dirty Dancing song track with him as well. Um, what's the difference between that and writing with either solo or writing with a new partner or someone that, a, a, you know, like a label pairs you up to write with? Um, you know, it's obviously different because when you're writing with somebody that, you know, uh, they, they get what you're all about and how you write. So if I'm if I'm the write with a, a John D. Nicole or somebody that I I write with, they're playing chords and I'm I'm jamming melody and I hear the melody for the chorus going somewhere different than the chords that he's playing. I just said stop when it hits the chorus, let me sing you where I think it should go. Mm. You know, and then he'll stop playing and then I'll start singing and he'll start putting chords around, you know, where my melody is. Is that the chord? No, put a seven. No, no, change that. You know, just make it a stock chord, you know? And, and so you, you work out different when you're working with somebody for the first time, you know, you're hoping that there's a chemistry right. that, that you have. And sometimes there is, and sometimes, you know, you walk away with nothing. And that's just how it is, you know. And, and if the seed is planted and you water it and it grows, then, you, you know, you start to nurture a song. Outstanding. I like that. What, what, what advice would you give uh, as someone who's written on your own and, and obviously collaborated with many people? What advice would you give one thing somebody can walk in a room with uh, if they're writing with somebody new for the first time? What's one thing that you would tell that person? Make the person that you're writing with better. Mm. You know, make make them a better songwriter by what you can enhance and bring to the table. Because what you bring and it inspires them will cause them to bring something back to you. I'll, t- I'll tie in. You've made us better simply by being here and hanging out yeah, with us. Absolutely. So we've enjoyed You've made our podcast better. Getting to spend some time with you, Frankie. <laughs> um, I have one question. So obviously, Will I Will I Am uh, and the Black Eyed Peas, they did a, they sampled one of your songs. Was he on your radar? How did that come about? How did that work out where uh, I know he sampled sampled you guys? Did he just call you up and be like, hey, can I borrow this? Yeah, it wasn't really a sample. They What they did was they actually sang the chorus. I didn't sample, mm. you know, something from, from a song. But um, I got a call from, um, you know, my administrator who said, you know, Will I Am wants me to give you a shout. They 
they're using time of my life, the chorus, but they're they're putting their own take on it in the verses. And uh, so here's three titles, and he wants you to pick out. Will wants you to pick out a title. Interesting. So I'm looking at I'm I'm looking at the titles, and I see the dirty bit, and I'm like. Okay, that's as close <laughs> as we're getting, you know. So I'm thinking the dirty bit is like something dirty, and and uh, and it really is. It's like when you're doing uh, digital files and you're editing yeah. the files yeah. that you don't use, you're throwing away are called the dirty bits. Oh, oh. how about that? Learn something new today. Yeah, wow. there you and, are making us so, better again, Frankie. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it made me better because I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> That's outstanding. Okay, so we uh, we got two more questions, and we're gonna then we're gonna cut you free. Uh, so right. obviously, we're talking in in this episode about your two songs from the Dirty Dancing soundtrack, one of the biggest soundtracks of all time, and you know most beloved ever. Um, I, what other movie is out there that you go, man? I would have loved to have been on that soundtrack. Well, you know, um, I, I watched a, a movie last night that Patrick Swayze was in. You know, obviously, uh, Ghost. And and it just every time that movie comes on, it brings a tear to your eye, you know. Yeah. And that's Bill Medley. No, the again. Bill Medley tie in there. That's right. Yeah, and, and Bill Medley just you know to, to have Bill Medley on anything, you know, uh, you know, having breathe on one of your songs is is an honor. So, you know, and hearing hearing those songs, and I think it was Bobby Hatfield that was singing "On um, Chain Melody." Was that the yep. song in yeah, there? I think so yeah. Yep. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to think of, I mean, there's tons of great, you know, Footloose and and, uh, and all, all those kind of songs that are connected to to movies, um, you know, the Bee Gees. What was that movie oh, that yeah, the Bee Gees? Sure. Uh, Saturday Night Fever, yeah. And- right. So so those are great movies that, you know, were, were kind of cultural changing movies. Yeah. And so if you if you're going to do it, you might as well aim for the aim for the stars, you know, sure. and, That's good. and have a have a song in a movie that, you know, I was so lucky that, you know, the the album uh, from Dirty Dancing sold 55 million records. Good so, goodness. I mean, that's, that's a stupid amount of records. That's a stupid that's amount a of records. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One last question, Frankie, and then we'll let you enjoy your day. We ask this to everybody. So you're on tour with by yourself, solo project, Frankie and the Knockouts, whoever. You're on tour, and you go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? And while you're thinking of your answer, I'll give you mine, just so you can think for a minute. Um, I get a Three Musketeers bar, because when I was growing up, my mom would say you could get any candy bar you want, and it's the most ounces, um, and they're all about the same amount of money, so she'd say you could pick whatever you want. So I'd get a Three Musketeers bar. What do you get in a gas station, Frankie, when you're on tour? Without hesitation, peanut shoes. There we go. I like the confidence in the answer. <laughs> right. That is a, that's a selling point right there. You had me out the gate. That's that's car salesman extravaganza. When you're selling from your front yard, you're like you're buying the Ford Pinto. <laughs> you're in my you're in my driveway. <laughs> that's awesome. That's peanut great. Shoes. Excellent. Great answer. Thank you so much, Frank. This has been a lot of fun. Hope yeah. you had a good time. Thank you for having me, man. You know, it was really my pleasure. This is the Great Song Podcast.
All right, guys, uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That was wonderful. I Thank really you, enjoyed Frankie, that for hanging out with us. We know this uh, episode's gone longer than most, but we do want to talk a little bit about the movie. It's a double feature. It's a double feature. Have so, you ever gone to a double feature at an actual movie theater? I've gone to a double feature at the drive-in. Does okay. that count? Sure, yeah, that counts. Okay, so yeah, yeah. I only went once. No, I've been twice. I went to see, uh, this is stupid, I went to see Groundhog Day in okay. theaters and National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1. Do you remember that with <laughs> yes. uh, with Samuel L. Jackson yeah. and... Um, Charlie Sheen? And, and no, no uh, he's Emilio. Part two. Yeah, Emilio Estevez. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was, I was, uh, that, and then I, if this counts, I saw Batman Begins and was so blown away, I immediately just went and bought another ticket and watched, watched it again. again. Yeah. Double feature of the same movie. Double feature, same movie, yeah. Yeah, the uh, Groundhog Day feels like a double feature in and of its own because <laughs> you've watched true. it so many times. Oh, yeah. Like the same story. Yeah. Ned Ryerson? Um, okay, about Dirty Dancing. Yes. Really quick, I'll just give a quick edited for television version, edited for movie version. Uh, Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey, uh, she plays Baby. It also has Wayne Knight as Stan. Y'all will know wow. Wayne Knight as Newman. Newman. Mainly from Seinfeld and Nedry from That's Jurassic right. Park. My favorite fact about Wayne Knight in relation to Jurassic Park is he was the first cast member that Spielberg cast. He saw him in a movie called Basic Instinct. I think it's a Michael Douglas movie, if I'm okay. not mistaken. And he's like, I want that guy in my next movie. That's wild. And so he cast Nedry first in Jurassic Park. Wow. So Okay. Yeah. Not, uh, trivia night with that one. Yeah, I know. Wayne Knight also married his makeup artist on Seinfeld. Okay, wow. And they got married at Kramer, Michael Richards' house. Huh. So Go how about figure. that? Um, other hits on this soundtrack, Big Girls Don't Cry, The Frankie Valley in Four Seasons, sure. Be My Baby by the Ronettes, Stay and Maurice Williams, Love Man Otis Redding, and of course Rob's favorite song, She's Like the Wind yeah. by Patrick Swayze That's himself. Right. That's right. My absolute favorite song. <laughs> I asked JP fan. if he wanted to do a rivalry episode. Because I like it. it and Rob hates it. I hate it. <laughs> it, just, it does nothing for me at all, man. Reach number three on Billboard. How about that? All right. Good, good for good that. For Patrick. Rest in peace. All that stuff, right? Go buy the song. Support the pancreatic cancer research. But just not your I hate that song. Not, not your jam. <laughs> I hate it. Nominated. Okay, Patrick Swayze. We're going to do one. Well, we try to do a game each game each, uh, episode. So we're going to do yeah. a Patrick Swayze game. Okay. I, Rob doesn't know what's coming. I'm going to lose this. Patrick Patrick Swayze was nominated for seven other awards in wow. like for seven different movies, like big movies. Wow! In that in his tenure, in, I don't even think I can tell you seven movies he was in. I was going to say, can you name the seven? Can you name any other movies by Patrick? Swayze? Okay, all right. I, I mean, you've got Ghost. Obviously. Ghost. That's okay. one of them. Okay, so there's seven. Let's see how many Rob can get. Okay, so Ghost, uh, Roadhouse, Roadhouse. Was he not? Was that one of the ones? That was one of them. Was, what was he nominated for in Roadhouse? It was. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Red Dawn. Red Dawn did not make the list, but okay. good, good. He was in the fir- the original. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, so there'll be five more. <laughs> there's no way. Three, Dude, four, I'm not. Five. There's no way. Okay. Give me a hint on one that I might oh, know. man. There's no way. The only one you may other know is um, it's with him and Keanu Reeves. Oh, uh, not Point Break? Point Break. Yeah, okay, That's okay. That's good. That's good. Um, the other one I've never seen, but let me tell you who else is in this movie. It's him, Helen Hunt, Ben Stiller. Adam Baldwin, Liam Nielsen, Bill Paxton. What is it? It's called Next of Kin. Wow. Never seen it. No clue. Apparently huge. I don't know how I missed it. Um, the other ones that won, I, it won a Bravo Auto Award for something called Tiger Warsaw. Okay. I looked it up. Mm. It looks terrible. North and South 2. You remember North and South? Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. He was, in, he was in North and South. And to Wong Fu... Thanks oh for everything. Oh my gosh, Julie so, Newmar. There, wow. There you go. There's some Patrick Swayze. Okay, trivia. I kind of forgot about that one. That was him and Wesley Snipes, Wesley Snipes and, and John else. Leguizamo, I think. Oh, yeah. Good call on that. Oh, you pulled that it. one out. I, yeah, I feel like I might could have. But I would have thought, there. what would he get? 
I don't know how to give you the hint on that. I mean, right? Yeah, without being drag. That's the only hint. That's the only drag or Catwoman. Yeah, right. There you go. Okay, there you go. All right, guys. Well, this has been fun. Thanks for hanging out for the double feature. The double feature. We're in season six, having a good time. Yeah. Hope you guys are enjoying it. We're having a good time. Let us know what you're feeling. Uh, let us, let's talk about it. Let's talk about your feelings over <laughs> at facebook.com slash groups slash greatsongpod or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at greatsongpod. And as always, you can go to the website for archives, merch, and more at greatsongpodcast.com. We hope you're enjoying it. Man, we have got a great season still yet to come. We got more interviews, more incredible songs, and we'll be back next week with another great one. And until then, I'm Rob. I'm JP. Go listen to some music.